following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings, starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Okay, uh, good morning, church. Uh, our scripture reading for this morning is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 down to 25. That's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. So, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1, sorry, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was exposed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, the son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all these things, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and the child shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I wonder if you've lost your wonder. I wonder if the stress of companies shutting down has added to a feeling of uh, humbug. Or maybe it's the stress of having to purchase gifts for your children, or maybe for your spouse, or maybe because it's just silly season and crime increases because the rascals have to get Christmas gifts for their children or their spouses. I don't know, maybe Christmas causes a bit of your eyes to glaze over. I wonder if you've lost your wonder. I hope that as a result of our time in the Word last week, that your heart began to swell and sing. You began to see that there is no end as we plumb the depths of the Word of God to see how great our God is. And 
I hope that as a result of our time today in the Word that you will find exceeding encouragement for your soul. We're going to take our passage this morning from Luke chapter 1. Did our scripture reading from Matthew chapter 1 is a similar passage, speaks a lot into what we will see today in Luke chapter 1. I plan on speaking this morning the wonder, the promise of the Messiah, and we'll take it from Luke chapter 1 verses 26 down to verse 56. In the passage we saw last week, Zacharias, the old priest, is now unable to speak. That's because he did not believe. And the angel Gabriel told him, you're going to have a son. For Zacharias, my wife is old and she's stricken in years. And can you give me a sign? And I think the angel Gabriel just doesn't take any smack from old priests. He said, you just hush up. That's your sign. You won't say anything for the next nine months. And now, here it is, six months later, Zacharias hasn't said anything in quite a while. Elizabeth is now carrying a child. It had previously been 500 years since an angel had appeared to man, and it had been recorded. And now we find ourselves in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'll break this passage, 26 to 56, I'll break it into two major portions. I have the angel's announcement to Mary, and then we'll have Elizabeth's rejoicing with Mary. So today's wonder, the promise of a Messiah. I'd like to just jump right in and we'll see the angel's announcement to Mary. We'll see it in verses 26 and 27. So if you'd like to read along with me, this is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So here I have the angel's appearance to Mary. This is the first part of this section. Notice a couple of things in the verse. Verse 26 says that it's the sixth month since Elizabeth got pregnant. She's been hiding this pregnancy. The verse is right before. She's been hiding that pregnancy for the last five months. If you've ever carried a child, men, that's not you, but ladies, if you've carried a child, you know you can make it to about five months without really anybody knowing, but after that, it's going to start to show. And I think that's what's going on here. Elizabeth has kept it secret. She's been hiding this pregnancy for the last five months. She's in a city. Later in the passage, it will tell us she's in a city in the hill country of Judah. Not anywhere near Jerusalem. It's out away in Judah, perhaps 11, 12 hours walk away from Jerusalem. Then notice also in verse 26 that it says that the angel was sent from God. I want you to keep that in mind. I can't really point out details now, but as we get further into the passage, you'll notice that that's very important. This angel does not just appear on his own. He's sent from God. Another thing I want you to see in verse 26 is that this city is a city of Galilee, and it's named Nazareth. Nazareth is in the northern part of Israel in the area of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is up in the northern part, and the region around it is known as Galilee. That's going to be important in two weeks from now. It's very important for us to notice that Mary is living in Nazareth. She is not in Bethlehem. That's going to make a big deal. We'll uncover that in two weeks. It would make sense for her to be living in Bethlehem. By the way, Joseph is from Bethlehem. That's where it would make sense for them to be living. But instead, she's living in Nazareth, and the angel appears to her. Also notice the fact that she's a virgin in verse 27. The angel appeared to Mary, a virgin, a spouse to Joseph. And it's very important to notice this. She's engaged to Joseph, and yet they are not married. They have not consummated 
the marriage. This first glimpse, we get a first glimpse of the promise that God would send His Son, a Messiah. He would send Him through the seed of a woman. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It's known as the Proto-Evangelium. First giving of the gospel. That's in Genesis chapter 3. I'll just kind of unpack that for you for just a moment. You might remember Adam and Eve in the garden fell in sin. And that was the serpent had come and spoken to Eve. That should make your ears perk up. Don't start making up stuff about snakes could talk back then. Don't go that way. A snake came and talked to Eve. Pay attention. Something's going on here. And notice, by the way, that what he did was he questioned the word of God. God's going to fix this, by the way. Adam and Eve fall in sin because Satan questioned the word of God. So what did God do to fix it? He sent the word in the flesh. You don't question God's word. God becomes flesh and dwells among us and we get to behold His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And so here, Eve follows the words of the serpent, turns. Adam knows what he's doing. Adam also partakes of the fruit of the tree. Falls in sin. God walks among them, calls them out for their sin and places a curse upon them. Adam receives his curse. You will sweat. And those of us that work feel that. You will sweat from the sweat of your brow. The garden will give forth, but it will not do it on its own. You have to work it. And to Eve, you will carry pain in childbirth. And then he turns to give a curse upon the serpent. You will crawl upon the ground and you will eat of the dust. And you will have enmity between you and man. There's a reason that you naturally are afraid of snakes. It's because of the curse. God placed that curse. And right in the middle of it, God's placing curses, 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 and God gives a promise, the very first giving of the gospel, and it's found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, and I want you to see this verse, oh, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here's Satan, the very embodiment of Uh, The serpent is the embodiment of of Satan himself, and God places a curse there, and the curse goes beyond just the snake. It goes also to Satan. And the curse is, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. And that is the very first time in Scripture that you see a promise of one who is to come, and notice he is to be the seed of the woman. This is important, because any time you see the seed, it is the seed of the man. And that is mankind. Men are born as a result of men through women. And then you have here the promise of the seed of a woman. She's a virgin. She will give birth to a son. And that son, the seed of the woman, will bruise the head of Satan. Oh, he will bruise the heel. Satan will bruise the heel of Christ who will go to the cross and it will look like, in a moment, it will look like Satan wins. As Christ hangs on the cross, but in that very act, he bruises the head of Satan. In that very act, he takes the very tool that Satan has used for thousands of years and continues to use to threaten you today, the tool of death. And Christ takes that tool and he smashes that tool. And in doing so, he bruises the head of Satan. And the day will come, by the way, when he will crush him forever and ever. And Satan will no longer have any power over mankind. 
Oh, friend, I look forward to that day and say again, even so come, Lord Jesus. You and I, for the last 4,000 years, have had to put up with the fact us 6,000 years, but 4,000 years until the day of Christ's birth, we've had to put up with the fact that we are under the head of Adam. Adam is our, I'll use a term that theologians would use, our federal head. Every one of us was born of Adam. Adam had a son who had a son who had a son. You can trace through in the book of Matthew, 42 generations, and it comes to the day of Jesus. And then you and I, we are then descendants of that son. And so you and I are all born into Adam. You're born the first time into Adam. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us what the problem with that is. Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's our problem. Because we're born into Adam's race, we're all sinners. But then God sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to be the new federal head, so that all those who are born again will be in Christ Jesus Christ, in his obedience to the Father at the cross, Christ going to the cross, took our sin upon himself so that you and I, being born again, can be in Christ instead of being in Adam. You're born into Adam, you will die twice. You will have your physical death and you will have your spiritual death. But you being born again into Christ, you're born twice and you will die but once. Your physical death will happen Barring the rapture of the church, your physical death will happen, but you will only die once. You will not die spiritually also. You are in Christ to ever live with him. I look forward to that day and again say, even so come, Lord Jesus. It's a promise that he gives. You saw it in verse number 27. A virgin espoused to a man named Joseph for the house of David. And the virgin's name was... Mary. It's a small problem. Not a problem for God. It might get a little awkward for Joseph. Hang on, buddy. It'll be all right. Gabriel gives an announcement to her, verse 28, verse 28 and 29. Verse 28 says, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The word hail means be glad. I don't know if you're getting this moment. Here is the angel appears to her. And he says, be glad. Every time you see an angel appear to a person in Scripture, you always see the person respond the same way. Great fear. You know why that is? First, angels are freakishly gorilla strong. They are so strong. 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 35 tells us that one angel in one night wiped out 185,000 men in one night. That's freakishly gorilla strong, all right? So here you have this boom. Oh, yeah, and by the way, they don't knock on the door and ask for permission to come into your life. They just are there. And so when he appears, the natural response is to shrink back in fear. And he shows up for Mary, and he says, Hail, be glad. 
I don't care what words you say, but you show up suddenly in front of me and you're massively stronger than I am, I'm going to be afraid too. He shows up to Mary. Be glad. You've been chosen by God. I think her heart's racing in this moment. This makes a whole lot of sense to Gabriel, though. You are highly favored. Thou art highly favored. The Lord is with you. You are blessed among all the women. This makes a whole lot of sense to Gabriel. You know why? Because Gabriel's been looking forward to this moment for a long time. He's been a bystander. He's been an angel of the Lord for God Almighty for a long time. And he's watched as man was created. And he watched as man walked away from God. And he watched as God has had this plan in place since before the foundation of the world. And he knows how very important this moment is. And he knows that there has not been a single woman who has received this promise. And there never will be another one. This is the moment. And he says, be glad. Mary, this is an awesome moment because no other woman ever gets to get this moment. You are highly favored among all the women of all history. You're going to get to do the one thing that all of us angels have been standing on the side and waiting for. You should be glad. The statement he just gave her in verse 30, the angel says to her, fear not. I can just imagine. She's probably just right now in this moment. So fear not. You don't have to have anything, anything to be afraid of. You found favor with God, verse 31. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord, Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. The, this angel is going to continue his statement and she doesn't need to be afraid. She has nothing to be afraid of. This is an, actually a moment for her to be excited about. The angel himself is excited. And he shall be great. I love the words in verse 32. He shall be great. You and I, when we see Christmas, we think baby in a manger. But he's going, wait, this baby's way more than a baby in a manger. This is going to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is God Almighty putting on the robes of flesh. He shall be great. He is the very express image of God Himself. You and I, the rest of humanity, are image bearers of God, but Jesus Christ is the express image of God. I'll share that with you. This Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed as heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Hear those words. I'll mention them again soon. He made all things by Jesus. And He is the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. He is the express image of the person of God. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. That's God in the flesh. And then He says it again in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature. And by Him, by Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So don't think 
for one moment that Jesus, when he was born in a manger, that that's the beginning of Jesus. Oh no, he is God Almighty from eternity past until eternity future. He was not created in his birth and he did not finish at his ascension. Oh no, he has always been. At the moment of creation when God said, let there be light, Christ was the agent of making the light. And when he said, let us make man in our own image, he was the one who gathered together the dust. He is the one who breathed into man the breath of life and made him a living soul. You see, Christ always is. From before until behind. He is ever-present. And he is the express image of God Almighty. And he is perfect in all of his ways, in all of his holiness. He's separate from all sin. He never had a sinful thought, and he never spoke a sinful word, and he never lashed out in anger. Oh, what a perfect, perfect man he was. Friend, you need a Savior that's perfect in all your ways. And the angel said to Mary, he shall be great, and he will be the son of the highest. Sorry, Joseph, not your son. Notice that in Matthew 1, he appeared to Joseph. Joseph, sorry. You're going to need to hold off until after this baby is born. Yes, I understand you want to put her away quietly. You want to be kind to her. You want to be culturally relevant. You want to think nicely of her and her family. But don't you dare put her aside for one moment. You take care of this woman and her child. The day will come when you will need to race off into Egypt to take care of him, but don't worry. In so doing, you will be fulfilling prophecy. For I will draw my son out of Egypt, he says. Joseph, just hang on. This one's not your son. He's my son, the son of the highest. And he will be given the throne of David. That promise had been made 600 years before. And Mary hears that promise that the son of David will sit upon the throne and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Every king that has ever lived has to give up the throne when he dies. But this one will ever live and ever make intercession for you and I to the Father above and he will not die and he will hold his throne forever and ever. I love the rest of that verse there in verse 33. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. He will reign forever and there will never be an end to his kingdom. That makes me think of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will carry that government upon his ever so broad shoulders. Oh, think about that for one moment. A government upon the shoulders of Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, His government will be perfect. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it, to order it. And to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. There will not be a single moment in his kingdom where anyone will say that was not right. For all of his judgment and his justices will be perfect. There will be no such thing as 
that person did an atrocious deed but ran off and hid for long enough for all of us to forget about it. No, justice will always be done by his government. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. His reign will be forever and his kingdom will be with no end and an ever-increasing peace and an ever-increasing government. Oh, that is the exact opposite of the effect of sin upon our day today. Do you realize how messed up our governments of this earth are? Oh, ours, yes, we see it, but it's not just ours. All around the world, the governments of mankind are so corrupted because of the sin of man. Oh, I'll just take one from our own backyard. Because the road does not get repaired, just think about the spin-off effects of the sin of man. Because the road does not get repaired, your vehicle breaks down. And because the road does not get repaired, the dust that gets collected up into the air coats the houses of the people who live around that section. And then because they're frustrated about the way that their houses and lives are destroyed because of dust in their homes, they take out that frustration at night and hold up vehicles that come through through a bad section of the road. Do you see how one thing affects another thing affects another thing? That's not increase of government, that's breakdown of government. It's the effect of sin in the world. In some ways we invest $1.5 billion into having a satellite and we don't invest into the medicines in remote locations where the son of a pastor in Haruta this month died from malaria because there was no anti-malarials in the clinic. And all of our health centers in the Kamea region are closed. Not out of medicine, out of medicine and closed because they have no medicine. Not a single antibiotic right now. Brother James, who worships with us, is carrying antibiotics to a little girl who has a stick stuck in her foot. And it's been in her foot for the last three months and her leg is swollen. They can't get treatment. You see, that's the effect of sin on government. And it's not just our government here, friend. If you're paying attention right now, the thing called hashtag Twitter files is unpacking the nastiness that has been the American government over the last four years. And this last week, whistleblowers in China have unveiled where did COVID actually come from and how it was maliciously let loose into society. The effects of sin are impacting the globe right now in inflation that most of us have never experienced in our lifetime. That's not the increase of government. Don't let anybody tell you we just get better and better as mankind. Oh no, mankind just gets better at hiding our sin. And our sin is what separates us and our sin impacts us. But oh, when the sinless one takes the throne. Isaiah 9 and verse 7, of words of the increase of his peace and government, there shall be no end. He does not permit any sin in his presence and in his government. Can you imagine what that will be like for a millennium 
a thousand years. His government will be set up here on the earth before he makes all things new. And once he makes all things new forever and ever under his rule, it will be fantastic. Not a single, not a single corrupt public officer, not a single action of selfishness will be tolerated. Instead of wasting time sorting out who the actual landowners are, the public service will have the ability and the time and the liberty to invest into studies that will benefit the kingdom as a whole. Just let your mind go there for one moment. Remove sin from all of the public service, and now public servants aren't self-interested, but instead they grow the kingdom. And that's how the kingdom will increase and increase and increase. Oh, that's an amazing thought. And he who never dies will sit upon the throne, and it will be like you've never imagined. And the angel says, Mary, that'll blow your mind. So I'm just going to kind of give you over the top. He shall be great. Mary asks a very natural question then in verse number 34. This question is very different from Zacharias's question. Verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? That's a very logical, biological question. It makes a lot of sense. She's not asking like Zacharias. By the way, Zacharias six months ago said, uh, I'm an old man, she's an old woman. Can you give me a sign that we really believe this is going to happen? This is not the same way. This is not a question of doubt. This is a question for explanation. How is that going to happen? I'm a virgin. There's no way that I can have a child. And so he explains. He gives an answer in verses 35 to 37. The angel answered, verse 35, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And then he just adds in a sign, verse 36, Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. So don't allow your mind to think, as some would tell you, that this is some kind of uh, relation between God and man in that they would have some type of hybrid God-man person. That's not what this is. The pagans think that way. No, this is the holy creative work of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. So the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and placed within her womb the baby Jesus, microscopic, just a couple of cells at that moment, but then it would grow that holy thing, he calls it in verse 35, the babe Jesus. She doesn't need a sign, but instead he gives a sign. It's two women, by the way, that are not supposed to have babies, one very old, they don't have babies in their 80s, and one who's a virgin. The other one, like Abraham and Sarah. It's happened before, but it takes a miracle of God. And this other one, a virgin shall conceive, has never happened before and never will happen again. This one, also a miracle of God. Only God can do this. And God gives her a sign. And he says, oh, by the way, verse 37, with God, nothing is impossible. God can give children to old women. God can give children to a virgin. Nothing is impossible, for he is apart from time. What I mean is he's separated from it, and he can send an angel at 500-year intervals. And if he wants to, he can send them back to back 
six months apart or with Joseph just a couple of days apart. He is apart from time, for with him a thousand years is as a day, and a day is a thousand years. He's separated from it. He's above all things. In other words, he can order the affairs of man. I mentioned earlier that Mary was from Nazareth, and we'll see it at the end of the passage. She goes back to Nazareth. Mary is 150 kilometers away from Bethlehem where she's supposed to have the baby. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are the smallest among all the cities of Judah, you will be honored in that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, an outskirt, just a little town outside of Jerusalem. She's in the wrong place, and God can order the affairs of men and move men in every way that he wants in order to get Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He uses Caesar Augustus to declare that the whole world has to go to their original hometown in order to be taxed. You realize they could tax anywhere they want to tax. And he goes, I'll shuffle the whole world just to get Mary to Bethlehem. Because nobody in their right mind is going to walk 150 kilometers while she's great with child. God can order the affairs of men. He's over all things, displaying mercy when we should have been destroyed long ago. And he is free from his own laws of physics as he places just a few cells into the womb of Mary. And then later, as Jesus walks on water, turns water into wine, heals a centurion servant from a distance, raises himself from the dead after three days, and then ascends into heaven. He is separated from his own laws of physics. With him, nothing is impossible. Come with me into verse 38. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. By the way, this could have cost her her life. You remember in Jesus' time, the woman that was caught in adultery, do you remember what they were doing? They were about to stone her and Jesus stepped into the midst of it. She could have been accused of adultery and it, later she was. And it could have cost her her life by stoning. And yet she said, I'm willing. Allow God to do what he pleases with my life and my body, for they are his. We come into the second portion of the passage, and I'll move through this much more quickly. This is Elizabeth's rejoicing with Mary in verses 39 to verse 56. Verse 39, And Mary arose in those days, went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. Now, before we go further in the story, I just want to remind you that when you're studying your Bible, you should be paying attention to things that are repeated. So if something gets repeated in the passage, the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is trying to draw your attention to something. So whenever something gets repeated, watch for it. So we just read something in verse 40, that is the first time it's going to get repeated in verse 41. So notice in verse 40, see if you can catch it. In, she entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. Verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And by the way, she's, it's going to get repeated one more time in verse 44. As soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears. So here's the point. At the moment of the salutation, something important happened. So this wasn't Mary came to the house, 
And they sat down and had tea, and maybe the tea kind of fluttered her heart, and then Elizabeth had this thing to say. No, this was at the very moment. So in your mind, think of this. Elizabeth's six months along, hard to hide the baby anymore, and Mary shows up at the house. So when Mary shows up at the house of Zacharias, she salutes. I don't know what that was like. It was not, yes sir, salute. It was, how you doing? And I can just imagine as Mary approaches the house, right? How you and I do, you come up to the house, oh, 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 stop, oh. <laughs> That's not our way. I don't know what their way was. But let's just perhaps say she comes up to the house, they're cousins. Hey, cuz! Somehow she salutes. She gives a greeting. Morning! Somehow she's trying to get the attention of Elizabeth. And at the very moment, now do you remember verse 15? We've not read it today, but last week we read it. Verse 15 said that John would be filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb. So John is in Elizabeth's womb, and John is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. To my knowledge, I have not been able to find another single person in all of Scripture that had that. That is an amazing thing. By the way, for you and I today, believer, you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, and that's the moment when He gives the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, and your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost for the rest of your life. But John was indwelt by the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Now, Elizabeth is in the house six months along, 80 years old. I'm only 43, getting ready to be 44 on Christmas Day. Remember that, my birthday's coming up. I am 43 years old, and I can already tell you that 43 is a long ways away from 23. At 23, yes, sir, I'm ready to go. At 43, I got hurt sleeping last night. I didn't have to do anything, and I get hurt. I can't imagine what it's going to be like at 80, and I can't... Well, I never have been able to carry a woman, uh, carry a baby anyway, but I don't know what it would be like at 80 years old to carry a baby. And there's Elizabeth, 80 years old. Oh, my goodness. I mean, they tell me, at least my wife told me, when she's carrying a baby, her energy level just drops. And I can only imagine being 80 years old and, no, and, and having a baby. Like her energy drops squared. This poor lady is in the house. And Mary shows up, stop Odio! And in that moment, it says the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth. Look at verse 41. And it came to pass, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Remember Luke is giving eyewitness accounts here. I don't think that 40 years after this happened that he's talking to Elizabeth. I think she's planted already. I think he's talking to Mary. I think he gets this story from Mary. Eyewitness accounts is what he said. Mary remembers this. And Mary says, you've got to get this. I came and saw her. She was old. She was already pregnant. And it blew my mind because when I got there, the Holy Spirit that was in John filled her as well. The Holy Spirit went from filling the babe in the womb to filling the mother as well. And she proclaims with a loud voice. 
Notice what she proclaims in verse number 42. Verse 42, she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Mary, you are one blessed woman. You get your mind around that? In the moment of the salutation, baby leaps, Holy Spirit, whew, Elizabeth goes, Oh my goodness, Mary, you are blessed of all the women. She hasn't even heard the story yet. Gabriel told Zacharias she was going to have the baby. She didn't talk to Gabriel. She doesn't know what's going on. All she knows is that her young cousin just showed up at the house and said, morning true to me. And now all of a sudden, she's filled with the Holy Ghost and she knows. You see, for the Holy Ghost always recognizes the Son. And the Holy Ghost always glorifies the Son. That's what we do, by the way. On Sundays mornings, we come together and we worship and we sing of His praises. Have you ever had that moment where you're singing His praises and all of a sudden when you're singing, the words just take on a whole new depth. And all of a sudden, it's as if the Holy Spirit that's already dwelling within you, the Holy Spirit says, oh yeah, right there, we're going to glorify the Son in this moment. And you can't help it. And you raise your hand, oh, praise the Lord for that. That's perfectly fine. And you praise Him as the Holy Spirit doing His work within you. And here, Elizabeth, 80 years old, can you just think about this? That's not normal. You know what normal would be? The older lady is relaxing in her chair. First off, older lady doesn't have a baby, but just in, for the story. Older lady relaxing in her chair. Zechariah, go get me something to drink, please. Can you rub my feet, please? That's normal. And the younger girl shows up at the house. Morning! This is normal. You're going to make, you're going to disturb me. Don't bother me. I'm older woman. I have a baby. Don't you know I have a condition? Please, you give space. That's normal. But instead, abnormal is Holy Spirit filled her, changed everything right now in this moment. And she goes, hey, younger girl, you are highly blessed. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Notice the wording that she uses. Verse 43. Whence is this to me? How is it even possible? Is the phrase that she Whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She went from, oh, Zacharias, go get me something to drink, to now in this moment. How is it that the mother of my Lord came to visit me? I don't care who you are. Not a single person alive looks at a pregnant woman and calls the unborn baby their Lord. That doesn't happen. But she recognized it. You know why? The Holy Spirit always recognizes the Son. And the Holy Spirit does His work and awakens her mind. And oh, this is a precious moment as she sees this is the unborn child. This is the Lord. This is Jesus Christ. And then in verse 44, she explains what she's just experienced, and Mary remembered it. Verse 44, Lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, 
The babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. That's Mary, by the way. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And I can only imagine here, this is a moment as she is thinking, Mary, you are so blessed because you believed and God's doing what He said He was going to do. You believed. And, and, and if I've done enough marital counseling, there's one thing that I've learned. Between couples, women, sorry, tend to speak a bit too much. And men tend to not speak enough. That's usually the complaint that I hear between the two. The man says, she just keeps talking and talking and talking. And the woman says, and he won't talk to me at all. That's what I'm, I'm used to that. In marriage counseling, I'm used to that. And here I can just imagine poor Elizabeth, for the last six months, her husband hasn't said a thing. You know why? Because he didn't believe. And now she looks at Mary and says, blessed are you because you believed. You're talking. He's not. Blessed. You're blessed. You're carrying the Lord. And then Mary begins to glorify the Lord. It's said that this is a song. It's known as the Magnificat. In Latin, that means glorifying. And you can see the word glory in the first verse. Verse 46 down to verse 55 is all a song. I don't know what the tune is, so I won't sing it for you. Verse 46, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And I want to say, sing, sister, sing. My soul does magnify the Lord. John Piper says there's two kinds of magnifying that we can do. There's microscope magnifying and there's telescope magnifying. Microscope is when you take something that's really tiny and you look down through the microscope and you see the little tiny thing and it's made bigger. And telescope is when you look at something that's really big but it's far away. And when you look at it, it you get to see more detail of it and it's brought closer. When we magnify the Lord, we don't do microscope magnifying because He's not tiny. We do telescope magnifying because our minds cannot fathom the corners of His greatness. And so we have a look through the telescope, as it were, and magnify Him, for He is far from us, and the closer we get to Him, the more we appreciate Him. And I magnify with Mary. And his, she says in verse 47, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regarded the lowest state of His handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And people have talked about Mary for the last 2,000 years, but she doesn't keep the praise on herself in verse 48. She turns it back to him in verse 49. Here comes verse 49. And he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. His mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Hear that, O friend. He extends mercy to those that fear him. No matter what generation you're a part of, you can obtain mercy if you fall at his feet. Fearing him. Verse 51. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things. I almost want to hear her say he has filled the hungry with good food, but he says good things. For sometimes you're hungry for more than just food. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He's 
hope in, he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And as we saw last week, the forerunner will go before the Messiah and prepare a highway in the desert. He prepares the way, the forerunner prepares the way, but the Messiah comes along for the people. Where the forerunner would raise up the valleys and knock down the mountains, the Messiah knocks down the proud and picks up the helpless. Our wonderful Messiah reaches down even to the lowly, I think even as he walked through Jericho the days before his crucifixion and sees blind Bartimaeus upon the side and Bartimaeus cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus walks over and commands the eyes, be opened. The forerunner goes before. The Messiah comes along and does work for the people. Mary abode in her house, verse 56. Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Three months is the remaining time that Elizabeth has for her pregnancy. If I'm Mary, it's time to leave right before the baby's born too. And she goes back to her house in Nazareth. That'll be important in two weeks. Next week we'll see the birth of John. But before we close, I want to draw your mind over to a story that happens in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, we won't turn there, I'll just tell you the story. In Luke chapter 7, John is grown and his ministry is finished. He's sitting in prison, and if you know the story, he will die in prison. A wicked woman will ask for his head on a platter, and that's how he will die. Jesus is in the midst, Luke 7, Jesus is in the midst of his ministry. You realize the forerunner's job is complete when the Messiah comes doesn't have any more work to do. He prepared the highway in the desert. Jesus comes along behind and does his work. I can just imagine in that story, John's there in the prison, and John sends a couple, two disciples to go see Jesus. So we go and ask Jesus this question, and here's the question John wanted to ask Jesus. You can read it in Luke 7 later. He says, will you ask Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? You know what drives that question? He's in prison. It doesn't look like he's going to get out. The king hates his guts. Did I just prepare? This is what's going through his mind. Did I just prepare a highway in the desert for the wrong person? And he sends two disciples, go and find out. Those two disciples come to Jesus and say, John sent us. And he wants to know, are you the one? Jesus does not answer their question. Jesus turns to the two disciples and he says, follow me. And they walk through a crowd for the space of one hour. And for one hour, Jesus walks through the crowd. I think this is the most compassionate thing that Jesus ever could have done for John. Jesus walks through the crowd and it says, and he healed the lame and he cast out demons and he opened the eyes of the blind. And he helped that one and the other one. Just walked through the crowd for an hour. I can just imagine what that would have been like. He didn't stop and teach. He didn't do anything else. All he did was heal people for an hour. And two disciples followed him. 
And when he got done, he turned to those two disciples and he quoted Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. He said, I want you to go back to John and I want you to tell him the eyes of the blind have been opened, the legs of the lame are walking, the deaf can hear, the gospel has been preached unto the poor. Greatest gift he could have given to John. Those disciples turned around and walked away. I can't help but think on those days when you think to yourself, hang on, I've done everything that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not, I'm not living in sin. I'm done, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I'm following Jesus. But it's just not going the right way. And you begin to doubt. By the way, that's natural. It's very normal to doubt. And you begin to doubt, Lord, have I been following the right one? Have I just messed this up and just followed the wrong one? Take a moment and remember. The forerunner did his part, and Jesus did the rest. And you can put your trust in the one who is great and the son of the highest. And the day will come when he will more than bruise the head of the serpent. He will crush the serpent altogether. So don't give up. Keep looking up. Father, thank you for your grace upon our lives. Thank you that you sent Jesus, the Messiah. You promised him, promised that he would come. Lord, I pray that we would continue to wonder, that we would see how glorious you are. I thank you for the promise of the Messiah. I thank you for the fulfillment of the Messiah. I thank you that you are a great God. I pray that in those days and moments when we don't feel so close to you, I pray that you'd help us to remember you've done all of these things and even remember the, the things that you've done in our own lives. Lord, we thank you for your goodness upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.